Today's first scripture reading is from Psalms 103. Praise the Lord, my soul. All my inmost being praise his holy name. Praise the Lord, my soul, and forget not all his benefits, who forgives all your sins and heals all your diseases, who redeems your life from the pit and crowns you with the love and compassion who satisfies your desires with good things so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. The Lord works righteousness and justice for all the oppressed. He made known his ways to Moses, his deeds to the people of Israel. The Lord is compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in love. He will not always accuse, nor will he harbor his anger forever. He does not treat us as our sins deserve or repay us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his love for those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. As a father has compassion on his children, so the Lord has compassion on those who fear him. For he knows how we are formed. He remembers that we are dust. The life of mortals is like grass. They flourish like a flower of the field. The wind blows over it and it is gone, and its place remembers it no more. But from everlasting to everlasting, the Lord's love is with those who fear him, and his righteousness with their children's children. With those who keep his covenant and remember his precepts, the Lord has established his throne in heaven, and his kingdom rules over all. Praise the Lord, you his angels, you mighty ones who do his bidding, who obey his word. Praise the Lord, all his heavenly hosts, you his servants who do his will. Praise the Lord, all his works, everywhere in his dominion. Praise the Lord, my soul. This is the word of the Lord. Our second reading comes from the prophecy of Jonah. We will read from the beginning of the book of Jonah to the sixth verse of chapter two. And I'd invite you to follow along as this is printed in your bulletin. So let's hear God's word. The word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai. Go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it, because its wickedness has come up before me. But Jonah ran away from the Lord and headed for Tarshish. He went down to Joppa, where he found a ship bound for that port. After paying the fare, he went aboard and sailed for Tarshish to flee from the Lord. Then the Lord sent a great wind on the sea, and such a violent storm arose that the ship threatened to break up. All the sailors were afraid, and each cried out to his own God. And they threw the cargo into the sea to lighten the ship. But, the Lord, but, but Jonah had gone below deck, where he lay down and fell into a deep sleep. The captain went to him and said, how can you sleep? Get up and call on your God. Maybe he will take notice of us so that we will not perish. Verse 7. 
Then the sailors said to each other, come, let us cast lots to find out who is responsible for this calamity. They cast lots and the lot fell on Jonah. So they asked him, tell us who is responsible for making all this trouble for us. What kind of work do you do? Where do you come from? What is your country? From what people are you? Verse 9, he answered, I am a Hebrew and I worship the Lord, the God of heaven who made the sea and the dry land. This terrified them. And they asked, what have you done? They knew he was running away from the Lord because he had already told them so. The sea was getting rougher and rougher. So they asked him, what should we do to you to make the sea calm down for us? Pick me up and throw me into the sea, he replied, and it will become calm. I know that it is my fault that this great storm has come upon you. Verse 13, instead, the men did their best to row back to land, but they could not, for the sea grew even wilder than before. Then they cried out to the Lord, please, Lord, do not let us die for taking this man's life. Do not hold us accountable for killing an innocent man. For you, Lord, have done as you pleased. Then they took Jonah and threw him overboard, and the raging sea grew calm. At this, the men greatly feared the Lord, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows to him. Now the Lord provided a huge fish to swallow Jonah, and Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. From inside the fish, Jonah prayed to the Lord his God. He said, In my distress, I called to the Lord, and he answered me. From deep in the realm of the dead, I called for help, and you listened to my cry. You hurled me into the depths, into the very heart of the seas, and the currents swirled about me. All your waves and breakers swept over me. I said, I have been banished from your sight, yet I will look again toward your holy temple. The engulfing waters threatened me, the deep surrounded me, seaweed was wrapped around my head. To the roots of the mountains I sank down, the earth beneath barred me in forever. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's do a quick little poll to begin with, shall we? Who likes the parable of the lost sheep? You guys like that all right? Pretty good parable. Especially makes you feel good, right, to know that, oh, I'm one of those sheep. I'm the sheep. If I went and got lost, Jesus would leave the 99 and he would come after me. What's not to like, right? How many people like the parable of the prodigal son? Right? Makes us feel good, doesn't it, to know that the forgiving father would welcome us home no matter what, doesn't it? It should. These parables should grip our hearts. We love these stories, and to a great degree, the world around us even loves these stories. And there's certainly nothing wrong with these parables. But sometimes there is a problem with, not with the parables, not with the stories, but with our reading of these parables. Sometimes 
when we say amen at the end of one of those parables, one of these stories of free grace, sometimes our amen rings a little hollow. We want grace, but the kind of grace that we often want is really cheap grace. Instead of a grace that's truly grace, a grace that confronts what we're like deep down, we want a surfacey sort of grace. And it's okay kind of grace. But of course, it's not okay. And Jonah shows us that the parable of the lost sheep and the parable of the lost son, that these are not stories of cheap grace. Not at all. Jonah shows us that we must go down, as the title of our sermon says, go down before we'll ever go out. That before we're ever motivated and equipped to journey outward with a message of God's love, well, we need to experience that love in the dark depths of who we really are when nobody is looking. And Jonah shows us that real forgiveness and grace will be much more relentless, penetrating. True grace will go much further down than we might be comfortable with, down to the core of our being, in fact. Jonah shows us that before we ever boast in our identity as children of God, which Paul says we should, that identity needs to be cemented in the depths of our hearts. Jonah shows us that before we delight in our role as God's servants and ambassadors, which we should, we first need to have our Father serve us and to serve us a tough but tender love and to send into our hearts his searching spirit. Before moving out, before even moving out of the first chapter or chapter and a half of Jonah. We need to go down with Jonah, down into the depths, down to where his heart is trying to hide, down even to the lowest pit. And so let's follow Jonah today on his journey downward. Let's look at the beginning here, verse three. I tried to emphasize this in my reading, but you'll see it over and over again. First, when the word of the Lord comes to Jonah, Where does he go? He goes down, down first to Joppa, verse 3. Now, in the Bible, when the word of the Lord comes to someone, it's not all fuzzy feelings and happiness and joy, joy. It's usually uncomfortable. Bible prophets described the word of the Lord coming to them like this, as a sword in their spirits, as a burden on their shoulders, as a hammer that was breaking rocky hearts, as a fire that raged within them, as something that they had to eat and digest, but left a bitterness both in their mouths and in their stomachs. The prophets in the Bible, they find the word of the Lord difficult to bear because it means that there is going to be heart surgery involved. When your surgeon says to you, The good news is I can save your life, but the bad news is I'm going to have to cut you open to do it. That's not completely good news. 
It's not going to be easy. It's not going to be cheap. It's going to be good, though, and it's going to be gracious. But Jonah, he simply won't bear, as a prophet should, the burden of God's word. He won't carry it to Nineveh. He won't even let it reverberate in his own spirit. Down to Joppa he goes, down to flee from the face of the Lord, whose word he doesn't want to hear. I think I said it earlier, but remember that every time it says that he fled from the Lord in this book, it's literally saying that he fled from the face of the Lord. It's the Lord's face and presence from which he is fleeing. So first trip down with Jonah, first attempt to get away from God's face, by going down, he goes down to Joppa. Jonah buys his ticket to Tarshish, he boards the ship, captain calls all aboard, anchor goes up, and westward they go on the surface of the Mediterranean Sea. And then this storm shows up. And just when the storm is really raging, verse 5, Jonah goes down again, down this time into the depths of the ship. And he can sense, just like the other sailors sense, that this is not an ordinary storm. This is a God storm. He can tell that the storm is a storm of the presence of the Lord, that it's the Lord's face in this storm, that the Lord's face is not so easy to flee after all. He's gone down to Joppa and west toward Tarshish, but he hasn't gone down far enough to hide himself from God's face. So he looks at the waves He sees their contours, and in the contours of those waves, he sees the contours of God's own determined face. And so down into the boat he goes, away from God's face. So now he's down in the depths of the boat. I can imagine down there, he doesn't see the sailors and the sea and the lightning anymore. But he can still hear the sailors shouting and panicking, right? The thunder cracking, the wind whipping. He can't see the face of God in the storm anymore, but boy, can he still hear it and feel it. So it's not enough for him to go into the heart of the boat. Down to Joppa, down in the boat are not far enough. He's still conscious of God's face, even if he can't see it anymore. And so he goes down further. Verse 5, he laid down and he fell into a deep sleep. Some scholars think that this is a deep, depressive sort of sleep. Others say that he's hoping that he will just never wake up. Most of us say that when we get old and we're going to die, we sure hope that we die peacefully in our sleep, right? That would be the way to go. And maybe that's what Jonah wants too. I'll go to sleep and then I'll never wake up. Or maybe he's spiritually and emotionally exhausted by this confrontation with the face of the Lord. And the only relief that he can imagine is to be unconscious. I wonder if you've ever been so emotionally exhausted by something going on in your life, by a relationship even, that you're too tired to even worry anymore, right? Has that happened to you? And you collapse into a deep sleep. Jonah goes down to Joppa, down into the boat, and now down into 
a deep sleep, all to try to escape the presence and the face of the Lord. And as we've read week after week, the sailors are not going to let him escape so easily. They find him, they wake him up, they soon find out that this storm is in fact the face of Jonah's God coming after him so much for his deep sleep. And now Jonah laying there below deck, he awakes from his deep sleep and he sees God's face once, once again. And now he's seeing God's face in the face of these pagan sailors, these image bearers saying, what are you doing down here, prophet? Get up. What do we do to make this go away, they ask. Jonah says, throw me into the raging sea. While all of the sailors are crying out, have mercy on us. Jonah cries out, essentially, kill me now. Now look, maybe Jonah knew. I think when we read this, we take this for granted. Maybe he knew that the sea would be calm as soon as he was thrown in. He's a prophet. Could be. Maybe he didn't know that at all. Maybe he's just making things up, things that turned out to happen. Maybe he just wants it all to be over. Maybe he's simply trying to hide the depths of his soul from God's face by hiding in the depths of the sea. Going down to Joppa didn't work. Going below deck didn't work. Going into a deep sleep didn't work. Maybe drowning in a deep sea is the only way for me to get away from the face of the Lord. Finally, the the sailors throw him overboard. And now the storm will swallow him, right? He'll get his way. He'll get away from, he'll be free from God's face. The Lord can't get me here. God can't look at me if I'm dead. Well, while the sailors are up above on the boat, which is now no longer in danger, but is floating across the calm sea, Jonah, meanwhile, is sinking down, down, down into the depths of the sea itself. He's won his freedom from God's presence. And he's won it, it seems, at the cost of his own life. Or so he thinks. Because just when he thinks that he's sunk below God's radar, a submarine of God's navy detects and captures him. The Lord appoints this great fish who comes and swallows him alive. And now he goes down further. He takes a trip down that he wasn't expecting, that he didn't want, and he goes into the belly of a fish. He is in the very heart of the sea, in the belly of this fish, and he's conscious and he's alive. And is he happy about it? I doubt it, not at least for the first three days. He's probably furious. He's tried every trick to flee God's face and he can't seem to do it. Martin Luther says, not only the ship, but the whole world becomes too small for Jonah. He finds no nook or corner in all of creation, not even in hell, where he might crawl to flee God's face. This had to be annoying and infuriating to our runaway prophet. But then something happens, and on that third day, he decides to do what we would all do if we were 
bored in the belly of a fish for three days, he composes a poem. I mean, they say that all true art is born out of suffering, right? And Billy Collins, the former poet laureate of the United States, says, really, all poetry is about death. And Jonah's been dealing with these themes in his life, hasn't he? So he's pretty qualified to make some pretty great art at this point. He's got some good material to work with. But it's clear that the essence of this poem is finally, after three days, and after all of this journeying, he says, okay, God, you win. You've got me. In fact, in chapter 2, verse 3, he says that he recognizes now it wasn't the sailors who threw him overboard, but it was the Lord who threw him into the heart of the sea. It was the Lord's waves and breakers that went over his head and engulfed him. Deep in the heart of the sea, there's Jonah. All the way down, verse 6, to the root of the mountains, there is Jonah. As down as anyone could possibly go. At rock bottom, in a way, he's further from home, further from the Temple Mount in Jerusalem, down there at the bottom of the sea, than he could have ever gotten by fleeing to Tarshish. But what has God done? God has hunted him down, and he has made the insides of this great fish into a temple. And has surrounded Jonah with his presence. And after three days, finally, our prophet is done running. He knows now, by experience, what the psalmist says in 139. Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go up to the heavens, you were there. If I make my bed in the depths, in the place of the dead, in hell, you are there. If I settle on the far side of the sea, Tarshish, for example, if I say, surely the darkness will hide me and the light will become night around me, even in the darkness, it will not be dark to you. The night will shine like the day, for darkness is as light to you. I can run, Lord, but it's pretty clear that I can't hide. As Jacques Ellul says, Jonah is pursued by a devouring love which wants him totally, which wants the ardor of his own converted heart. He is pursued by an unwearying patience which will use every means necessary to bring it about finally that this man yields to God and his unrelenting love. You see what's going on here? It's going to have to be Jonah, in the end, who decides to turn and to look at God's face. That's how it is with every one of us. Jonah has to do that. But God is going to bend heaven and earth, sea and dry land, storms and sailors, floods and fish, in order to pursue Jonah's heart. The entire book of Jonah is God's relentless pursuit of Jonah's heart. It's God saying, you are going to get a good, clear look at my grace before you go just rejecting it. Now, the Lord could have easily given up on Jonah the minute that he went down to Joppa instead of off to Nineveh, right? Can the Lord find another prophet? 
Of course he can. If all he was interested in was the Nineveh problem, he can get another man or woman for his job. But the book of Jonah is not called Nineveh. The book of Jonah is called Jonah. Because the book of Jonah is really about God's missionary journey to Jonah's heart. Jonah's hatred of the gracious character of God's heart. Jonah's desperate attempt to avoid experiencing a confrontation between God's grace and the depths of his own sin. And God's determination to make his face shine upon the darkness of the depths of Jonah's heart. Jonah had been so proud of his position in the palace of Israel's king. He'd been so proud to identify with the one true God, so proud of his ethnic identity and of his service to the Lord. But when the Lord called him to go to Nineveh, he realized that this God of his was ridiculously gracious, way too gracious for Jonah's taste. So gracious that he would even warn a wicked empire of their wickedness instead of just destroying them? Way too patient, way too persistent, way too kind. And so Jonah goes down, 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 burying himself in an attempt to cover himself from the face of such a stubborn and patient grace trying even to hide in the depths of death itself. And the Lord keeps coming, (laughs) keeps shining his face into the depths of Jonah's proud, dark heart. An old-timer minister, I think a Scottish fellow, Alexander White, said, when I watch the working of my own heart, this is what I am compelled to say. I am Jonah. If you are a chosen child of God, then you are Jonah too. You and I stand, can't stand rather, to have the depths of our own pride exposed to the sight of God, to have our sinful hearts shown to be what they really are in the splendor and radiance of God's holiness. And so we flee from the face of the Lord. We want to be identified with the true God, we do. We want to be known to the world as God's servants. We want to be respected. But God doesn't need us. He can find someone else who will go to Nineveh, somebody else to serve on the church council, to usher, to lead Bible studies, even to go to the mission field. He can find someone else. He doesn't absolutely need us. So what is he doing? He wants us. He desires us. And the only way that he can get us is if he will continue to show us the very thing that we have such a hard time really wanting. The presence of his face full of grace and glory. His mercy and his truth in all their luminescence. Shining on the deep darkness of our own shame, our own failure, our own pride. This is stuff that we do not want to bear because it's true. God has dispatched, though, his true prophet, hasn't he? Somebody who actually did go to speak grace and truth to us. 
In many times and in many ways, Hebrews chapter 1, verse 1, God spoke by the prophets. But in these final days, he has ultimately spoken by his son. He spoke by Jesus' coming and his life and his death, his burial in the depths of the earth, by his resurrection. And in Jesus, he has chased us down. He's bent heaven and earth and sea and dry land to get alone with our souls and to confront our darkness with his light. And there is nowhere to flee from his presence. And so the question for us at the beginning of a year that where we want to turn outward to our community must first be this. Will we keep running? Will we keep heading down, down, down and away from God's face? Or will, will we receive his compassion and his mercy, his abundance of steadfast love? Jonah had to go down before he was able to go out. We need to go down before we are able to go out. But there is no place so far down that the light of the countenance of the face of our gracious and glorious God cannot beam upon us in all of its splendor full of grace and truth. At the depths will we look up and be willing to see the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. He doesn't need us. He wants us. Let's turn our faces towards him. It's a face of grace and truth. And it's difficult, but it's good. It's good. Heavenly Father, give us the grace that would convict our hearts that they might turn toward you. This is all a mystery and a mysterious working of your love that you would pursue us in Christ the way that you do. Break down the walls of our resistance, our fortifications against your face and presence, your grace and truth, and expose everything that's in there We pray that in the light of the day that comes, the high noon of your gospel of grace, that all all of our sin would be reckoned with, that it would be forgiven, atoned for, placed on Jesus so that we might go free in his love and grace, free to serve him, to obey him, to love our neighbor in his name. Do all of the necessary heart surgery on each of us in the days ahead and even in these moments now as we worship, so that we might be your instruments as we turn towards the world that so needs you, the world for which Jesus died because it is the world that you so loved. We ask it together in Jesus' name. Amen.